0: Welcome to Mavuno Church, the home of the fearless. My name is Muredi Wanjao, or Pastor M, and I'm the senior pastor of Mavuno Church I'm so honored to be bringing God's word to you this month. Hey, by the way, if you're watching this on Facebook, you're watching on YouTube, please, as I preach today, just share your comments. Uh, We'd love to just interact and hear what you're thinking. Uh, If you have any questions, you can put them down there as well. Uh, Just looking forward to a really engaging and interacting time today. So hey, allow me to start us off with a question. What are some of the main reasons why people join cults? In your humble opinion, in your view, What are some of the main reasons why people join cults? I don't know what you think about this. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking right now. Maybe you're even writing down something. Maybe you're, there's something that has come to the top of your mind right now. But you know, I, I I asked this question around and got so many different answers. One of the Some of the ones I got were answers like, they want to become better people. I mean, there are people who are in a place where they just feel their life isn't working right, and they want to become better people. Uh, uh, another one that came out is people just want to belong to a community. People want to belong. And when you're lonely, when you're feeling you don't belong, and you find a group of people who are warm, who embrace then they join that community Uh, uh, people are going through a difficult time here's a different one that people shared people are just going through a difficult time a difficult season that makes them vulnerable for example you're going through a breakup in your relationship maybe you're suffering from low self esteem you lost a job you're going through a financial crisis these things can make you vulnerable and open to things you normally wouldn't be Uh, another one is that they were looking for purpose you know maybe they got fed up with the evil in this world, and they were looking to make a difference. They wanted their life to count for something. You know, at the heart, as much as we, uh, especially in this country, Kenya, have been talking a lot about people joining cults recently, uh, a lot of these people, they're really trying to meet a legitimate need. It's very easy to deride people like that, to think maybe they're less intellectual or they just have a problem, but it's really regular people trying to meet a legitimate need need. But you know they ended up in spaces where they were taught things that don't align with the truth. And, and the thing I'm wondering that made me even ask this question in the first place is, are there things that maybe we too have believed that are not completely true? Maybe even about Christianity, about the faith that we profess is our faith. Perhaps even the things about what it is that makes a true Christian. And that's why this month we're, we're starting a brand new series. It's called Mythbusters. Busting popular myths about Christianity. And we want to begin today With, 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 with. I think one of the things that one of the things I'd love to start with is just what is a definition. What how do how do people define a true Christian? The the Meridian Webster Dictionary it, uh, it it defines a Christian as number one, a person who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teachings. So that's the first definition. Of course, dictionaries usually have several. The second one is a member of a Christian church, and then I was interested to find that the third one is treating other people in a kind or generous way as in what a christian thing to do i mean this is this is more like an adjective kind of thing now we'll come back to the other two the the, the last two in a minute but you know if if really christianity is about following the teachings of jesus christ i guess the real question we need to be asking today is what did jesus teach if we want to understand what a true Christian is, we want to get into the the real uh, the real thing about what is a true Christian. What did Jesus teach then? And and here's where it get it gets interesting. You see, most people are surprised to hear that the main focus of Jesus's teaching was not about belonging to a church. The main focus of Jesus's teaching was not even about being a good person. The main focus of Jesus' teaching was not even about getting people saved or going to heaven. (laughs) Indeed, Jesus' predominant teaching, you know what it was? Are you ready for this? It was about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus talked about all the time you read his biographies I I tell you this was always it was such an interesting discovery for me read the biographies it's and of course the biographies are Matthew and Mark and Luke and John the first four letters or first books of the New Testament and you're going to find that this is a subject of almost all of Jesus's sermons now I don't have time for us to go through all the different scriptures but I I'd, I'd challenge you to read through them yourself and be able to find and be amazed like I was and and actually this coming Friday at, 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 at this coming Wednesday at family night I, I think we might take some time to actually go through some of those scriptures but but for example you know um at the beginning of jesus's ministry there's an interesting uh, verse in the book of mark and and mark is actually talking about mark one of jesus's biographers is talking about uh, what jesus came to do the content of his teaching actually and mark chapter 1 verse 14 to 15 here's what it reads it says now after john was put in prison jesus came to galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel what is gospel gospel is a Greek word that means good news so Jesus basically is preaching the good news about the kingdom of God that's the content of his sermons Uh, another disciple another uh, biographer called Matthew he wrote in Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 and this is what he said. He said, "As And he went through out all Galilee, this is Jesus, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, uh, healing every disease and every affliction among the people now jesus preached a lot using parables uh most of the content of his messages was was through stories or parables and most of his parables are introduced by these words the kingdom of god is like you know it's like he's talking about this kingdom he's teaching about the nature of this kingdom what is this thing called the kingdom and remember i know some of you might remember the very famous words when the disciples asked uh, jesus teach us how to pray remember how he taught them one of the things he said right at the beginning he says your kingdom come your will be done as it is in heaven. There it is again. That's the kingdom. Matthew chapter six, verse ten. So, so what is this kingdom thing? <laughs> what is this concept of kingdom that Jesus was so passionate about? Remember, we're still talking about what did Jesus teach, and we're saying he taught about the kingdom. So, let me say something about kingdom. In our modern day democratic world, uh, in 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 these days where we uphold democracy so highly, we've lost sight of what it means to be in a kingdom to belong to a kingdom but let me say this many of our african uh, nations our parents really understood what it meant to be part of a kingdom Uh, for example in many of uh, of our british british colonies like like the country that i hail from kenya our parents would have sung a very strange song (laughs) when they were in their schools and this is what the song said it said these words say god save our gracious queen long live our noble queen. God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious. Born to rule over us. God save the queen. Oh come on somebody, what a shock. Like why why would anyone want to sing a song like that? Like whose queen is this? Well let me tell you what was going on. Our parents were in the process of being colonized by being taught to become the subjects of a kingdom. There was a kingdom that was taking over. And even today, long after colonial rule, many of us in East Africa, we have, we're, we're still experiencing the consequences of this kingdom. Let me ask a question. How many of us wear suits or ties to work, even in our hot African sun? Yeah, that's kingdom. I mean, that's, that, that's a culture that is different from yours that became your culture. How many here speak English? better than your mother tongue. Don't put your hand up. Uh, but again, that's kingdom. Uh, how many people here drink tea <laughs> every day? It's like you drink a lot of tea. That's kingdom. Uh, maybe some of you are resistant. You haven't put up your hand for any of these, but this one you have to. How many of you drive or take matatus that drive on the left hand side of the road (laughs) like that's all of us isn't it if you live in east africa you do and why is that because a kingdom colonized us and that's how they did things that's what happens when a kingdom imposes its culture on a people they end up acting completely differently from what they had known before and so jesus is talking about a kingdom that's what he's talking about he's not talking about a democratic government he's talking about a kingdom and this word the kingdom it comes from the two words king and dome, domain. The realm or the domain over which a king has authority or rule. Now the dictionary meaning of a kingdom or definition of a kingdom is a country or a state or a territory that is ruled by a king or a queen. The thing that's hard for us again in our democratic times to understand is that kingdoms are very different from democracies. I'm going to share just a few differences just for you to get a bit of a picture about how different it is. What Jesus was talking about was completely different from what our modern minds would understand. Number one, so just a few differences. Number one, a king is never voted into or out of power. So you don't decide today we're tired of this government, we're voting it out when you live in a kingdom. You know we watched in wonder uh, as a whole world a few uh, months ago uh, as King Charles of England was being inaugurated King of at the death of his mom, Queen Elizabeth, who basically had ruled for 70 years. I mean, she ruled until she died. And she was the oldest reigning monarch in England, second oldest, uh, second longest reigning in the whole world. And she only stopped being queen because she died. <laughs> there was no election, there was no referendum about uh, her becoming, stopping to become queen. And there was no election or referendum about who would succeed her. Basically, her eldest son uh, succeeded her see king, kingship is by right it's not by appointment or election and of course when i say kingship i'm also talking about queenship so uh for all the queens in the house uh you need to understand that i'm, I'm using the word inclusively here so so the first thing is yeah that th- this king is not elected or put into power the second is a king's authority is absolute a king's authority is absolute now it's not so true for modern monarchs today but in a true kingdom, like in the ancient kingdoms, the king or queen did not need to consult. Uh, they did, if they, if they did, it was because they just chose to. But basically, the king's word, the queen's word, was law. Whatever they said, this is what we're going to do from today. There was no consultation. It was as good as done. Number three, a king owns everything within his or her domain. So, so what does that mean? In ancient monarchies, the king owned all the land in their realm. And basically, if you had land, you were using it by permission of the king. And if the king was not pleased with you, they could give that land to someone else. Uh, that concept was in England, the country that colonized us, and they had what they called crown land. Crown land be- is land that belonged to the queen. And it was interesting because when we come into a modern-day uh, law here in Kenya, you're going to find what state land, that the state owns land. Well, that is directly derived from crown land. These are laws that come and are derived from a kingdom. Uh, A fourth thing is a king can delegate authority to anyone he chooses. A queen can delegate authority to anyone she chooses. In monarchies, positions of authority were not given on the basis of an election or of qualification, but purely because the king or the queen decided. So it's a king who decided who the ministers were, they decided what positions they had, who had what land. And, and you know, those people who ha- were given those responsibilities, they did not rule for themselves. They ruled on behalf of the king. Now, I know as I talk about this, maybe some of you are thinking, doesn't this sound a bit like a dictatorship? <laughs> and that's because you have a modern mind, and to our modern minds, yes, it does. Why? Because we've all seen among our human leaders, even here in Africa, and maybe somebody would say especially, uh, especially here, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we we see how evil leaders are and how much you cannot trust them with too much power. You have to put checks and balances to control their powers. But the Bible tells us that this king that the Bible talks about is not a human king. God is a very different kind of king from the kings of the world, from, from human beings. Uh, the Apostle John talks about a very different kind of, of reality when it comes to God. He says he introduces his first letter, uh, uh, the letter 1 John, with these very powerful words in verse 5. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all what does no darkness at all means it means that there is no inclination towards evil there is no sense where god actually thinks can i do the wrong thing or should i do the wrong thing that god is always right he's always uh, 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 on the side of what is right another disciple james wrote the same kind of thing in james chapter 1 verse 17 he says every good and perfect gift is from above he says, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. But God doesn't change. You know, shadows are very interesting. Depending on what time of the day, you're going to find that the shadow is short, the shadow is tall, the shadow is moving, it's wavering. Sometimes it's strong, and it's because the, the, the light is always shifting. He says, ah, God is not like that. God is consistent. So God is always consistent. His nature does not change. And that's why you're going to hear people sometimes saying in church these words, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And that's his nature. That's who he is all the time. God is good. So, so, so Jesus' message, remember we're still talking about Jesus' message here. It's about a kingdom. The kingdom of this king who is God. And why did Jesus have to preach this message? Why was it so important? I want to go back a bit in history before Jesus' time. Because you see, in the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we see that in the beginning of time, God created the world. And then he sets up this amazing planet that he calls Earth. And it's, it's got an amazing ecosystem with days and nights and seasons and, and continents and seas and animals and plants. And he puts this amazing thing. Uh, and it's his. It's him who puts it together. Nobody else. He's, he does it by himself. That's why uh, Psalm 24, King David wrote these words. He said, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The king is creating his world, his realm. God owns the entire world. But then at the end of that chapter, we see something really powerful that he delegates authority to those he chooses. And we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, some really incredible words. In fact, this is our main text today Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And here's what it says It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule. Over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Very interesting words. You see, God, the picture we're getting is God the king creates these amazing creatures that he calls human beings. They're made in his image, which means that they're not, they're not just like animals, which are physical. They also are spirit beings. He, there's a spirit in them. They're spiritual. Uh, by the way, I always say this is the biggest difference between humans and, 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 and animals. People say humans are just an evolved form of animal. I say, not true. You will, you will never find a dolphin or an ape or one of the so-called very intelligent animals. Here's one thing you'll never find them doing. You'll never find them building an altar to worship. You'll never find that. But you go across every single human culture in the world, and that's one thing you will find, a God consciousness. Because humans have spirit, the spirit of God in them. And God delegated over these humans, rule or dominion over the entire planet, over all the living creatures on earth. In other words, God delegated, the king delegated his authority over the earth to these humans who are his agents, his stewards, his caretakers to rule, not over each other, but over the rest of the beautiful planet that God had created. And that's how this story begins. You're reading Genesis chapter 1. It's a beautiful story. Everything is good. And every, every so often, you're going to hear God looked and said, it was good. It was amazing. It was awesome. I mean, if, if, this, was a, if this, this humans were made, they love each other. They're, they're in amazement with each other. It's like a rom-com. It's beautiful. The music is amazing. And then, boom, something terrible happens. Even though it's not written about, in this chapter of genesis there's something that happens that tells us that humans were not the first created beings Uh, before humans there were other creatures that god had created and we're just about to encounter one of them in genesis chapter 3 who is actually the chief bad guy who is an opponent of god now how did he end up in the garden the bible doesn't really tell us it says very little It says only shadowy snippets, and if you read several passages in the Bible, you're going to find that there were angels. These were the first created beings. They seem to have rebelled against God in their positions of authority. You can read about this in Isaiah chapter 14, in Ezekiel chapter 38, in Jude chapter 6. There are different scriptures that sort of just point towards this. And you get the sense as you read the scriptures that one of the chief angels... Maybe even the most important angel, his name was Lucifer, which meant the prince, uh, the, the morning light. He rebelled against God and he led a coup against God. And that coup included a third of God's angels. And they were defeated by the heavenly armies and they were cast down to the earth. Remember, this is the very place, the earth that God gives to Adam, gives to Eve, and gives authority to them over. Now why? Why? I don't understand. We don't understand. The Bible doesn't say why God would give them authority over the planet that he's throwing his enemy into. But what we do know is that this enemy then shows up in the middle of the garden, breaks into the picture in the form of a serpent, and convinces Adam and Eve to rebel, to join his rebellion against their creator. And everything goes downhill from there. You know what happens after that? Because they join this rebellion against God who is a source of life, The main result is death. And you're going to find that death comes to humanity in many, many different forms. Number one, physical death. Humans became mortal from that day. They no longer lived eternal. They were no longer eternals. They were now human. They were now mortals. And that's why today we suffer from physical illnesses and conditions and disabilities and accidents and death. It all began in the garden. Number two, the second thing that happens is emotional death which has to do with shame and hiding and and this was the beginning by the way of psychological problems like depression and low self-esteem and mental illness and addictions and all kinds of things and then number three was social death social death is the other thing that happened and you're going to find that uh death in our relationships god said here's the thing that happens because god says because of their rebellion (laughs) humans In fact, here's the thing that it actually says very interesting, it says the woman will long for her husband and he will rule over her. That's a very powerful thing because what basically happens is in our gender relationships we find that instead of loving and supporting one another the way we are created to, we end up manipulating one another, dominating one another. And this is the origin of gender wars, betrayal, manipulation, oppression, all the injustices where humans are wrong one another. All these, I mean, marital problems, all of them blame them on the Garden of Eden. This is where all our issues came from. Instead of ruling over creation, we started trying to rule over each other. And then, number four, the, the fourth death is environmental death. From that time on, Earth becomes a harsh environment for humans. And basically what it's doing is heralding things like drought and famines and natural disasters and and terrible work conditions. And and if you've ever worked in a job that you hated, if you've ever been oppressed by a boss or, or been in a place where you just hated waking up to go to work, blame it on the garden. This is exactly what happens because of the rebellion against God. And then number five, the last death, is spiritual death. Now, humans were separated from their creator. Who is their source of life? And so spiritually, we became lifeless. We became dead. There was a vacuum that was created in us, where we're supposed to have an amazing relationship with God. We all know there's something missing, and that's why every culture in the world—you travel around—you're going to find altars. You're going to find humans trying to connect with the divine. They can feel that there's a gap. They can feel that there's something wrong. There's something missing, and they're trying to reach out from it for for it. And what humans do is then they reach out to things that don't satisfy, to money. To, to fame, to relationships, to, to power experiences, uh, to, 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 to social media likes, and other kinds of things because they're trying to fill a vacuum that only God can fill. And, and, and this, this is what happens because of our rebellion in the garden. And the last thing is, of course, then we lose the rule. Men and women lost the rule over the planet that they had been given. And they lost their position of authority to the enemy of God. I mean, it, it, it was a terrible picture. Genesis chapter 3 is a terrible chapter. It feels like everything is lost. But, but, but here's what happens. And remember, guys, remember we're talking about what did Jesus teach about, right? Remember, I hope I, hope I haven't lost somebody here. Where I'm, I'm taking you on a journey with me. And here's what happens. God says something that tells us, no, it ain't over yet. This story is not over. And he, he says some words over this serpent, over his enemy in the garden. He says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I am declaring war against, between you and the woman. And he says, between your offspring and hers. And he says, he will wound your head and you will wound his heel. In other words, what God was saying to his enemy is that these humans you've just attacked, <laughs> they're the ones that will actually destroy you. They're the ones that will crush your head. And, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very amazing reason. It maybe starts to give you the reason why God puts them, the enemy and, and the humans in the same planet. Because God is saying these, these very mortal beings, these very weak beings, are the ones that are actually going to win. I've given them the authority. They're the ones that are going to destroy the work of the enemy. And the rest of the Bible, so I'm hoping you're getting some clarity now. The rest of the Bible story is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Because God begins the process of picking up a random guy, his name is Abraham, and through him and through his descendants, God begins to show what it means for humans to be connected back to God. Uh, a people who, are, who, who can rule the earth on his behalf. And, and through the descendants of Abraham, God himself shows up. He becomes one of those descendants. He shows up uh, in the form of Jesus and he wins a great victory over the devil. And then he sets up a community of his followers a community of people who he fills with power he gives them back the authority and he restores them back to their position of authority and he says go and make disciples go change this world for me and crush the enemy and through them God's plan is to win the victory over the enemy and establish his kingdom over the earth so here's the thing I want you to remember today of all the things I've said I hope the one thing you remember is this God's mission is not to turn us into nice people is to restore a rebellious world to its rightful king that's the story of the bible god's mission is not to turn you and me into nice people is to restore a rebellious world to its rightful king and and you know growing up i didn't realize this was the story of the bible (laughs) i actually thought the bible was about a couple who ate a fruit uh, that God had told them not to eat, and then God got mad and he kicked them out of the garden. I'm like, what kind of parent would do that? What an overreacting thing to do. It's like your kids eat sugar in the kitchen and then you chase them out of your house. I mean, it felt like a bit of an overreaction if you ask me. And, and I thought the message of the Bible and the work of the church was to get people to feel bad about their sin and to get them to be born again and, and to live a good life, a moral life, so that they would go to heaven and avoid hell. But this is not what Jesus taught. Jesus' primary message was about the kingdom of God. You see, through Jesus, God's mission was not to turn us into nice people. It was to restore a rebellious world, a world that was cut off from God, back to its rightful king. You see, Jesus didn't come here to start a religion. That was not his purpose. He came to destroy the enemy's work. And actually, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the the devil's work. Jesus' purpose was to raise a unique group of people who with God's help would recover the original mission to stamp God's rule and authority over the earth. To rule the earth on his behalf. And so allow me to say this one more, once more. God's mission is not to turn us into nice people. It's to restore a rebellious world to its rightful king. Now, I believe the greatest tragedy in the world is that many people, including Christians, have forgotten the story of the Bible. We've forgotten what the mission of Christianity is supposed to be. We think being a Christian is about behavior. (laughs) It's about going to a place of worship, following a list of do's and don'ts, becoming super spiritual. We've forgotten that humans were not created for heaven, but they were created for rulership over the earth that the that, 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 that we're supposed to make a difference where God has placed us, and that's why there are so many people today who call themselves Christians m- more than they've ever been uh, in any other time of history, but they have less and less impact on the issues and the matters on this earth. Uh, and and you know, for say for a place like Africa, for example, Africa is probably the most evangelized, the most Christian, if you want to put that in quotes, continent in the world today. But the one with the most poverty the most diseases the most violence the most corruption the most injustice and the most chaos why is this you know it's been said that africa today is worse in terms of disease crime justice economics and family than before christianity came to the continent the problem is not Christianity. It's not the gospel. The problem is a misrepresentation of the gospel. We've, 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 we've been taught a gospel of spiritual salvation. We think the myth that we've all believed is that Christianity is about making you a nice person, a spiritual person. It's about your spiritual soul. And you know this is the gospel that many of us we we feel we received from from the missionaries. But this is not the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus taught. In fact, this gospel incidentally had transformed the nations that these missionaries came from. Years before that, it had built their economies, it had established their political systems. I watched a little video on on YouTube that was talking about the fact that the most prosperous countries today are the least religious. And I said, how ignorant. Because most of those countries, their wealth was not built in a time of less ignorance. Most of them, are of, of less religion. Many of them built their wealth in times of religion and only lost their faith at the time that their wealth increased. And, and, and I want to say this that this week at the fearless summit we're going to be talking about we're, we're going to be learning from different leaders about how to practically follow the king in our day-to-day lives how to become Christians how to become people who follow Jesus uh, in our marketplace in our homes in our businesses uh, how to become Christians who can change the world and I'm hoping that all of you are going to be there and if you're not able to make it to Nairobi that you're going to be watching this you're going to subscribe to watch this on YouTube and then next Sunday uh, the Sunday after this we're going to have what we call our fearless Sunday. We're going to take a break and have just one big live service. I just I just want to warn you that this is coming next week. We're going to have a live service where all the different Mavuno churches are going to be watching the same service. And so it's going to be different from this one. It's going to be longer than the usual service. So come ready for that and come ready to just engage in a live uh, connection with all the different Mavuno churches uh, in one space. It's going to be based uh, at Mavuno Church Hill City. It's going to be at 10 AM East Africa time. Same time as this broadcast. Now we'd love to see you there and uh, please make sure if you're not in Kenya that you can follow online but if you can come uh, we would love to have you here. But as I conclude, as we conclude, allow me to pray for us. My, through this series my prayer for all of us is that we're going to begin to understand who God is and we're going to begin to understand who we are called to be. Understand ourselves better to see ourselves as God sees us. But today I want to pray for somebody who for the first time the penny dropped. For the first time you began to understand, oh my goodness, maybe I believed in a myth. Maybe I'm one of those people who's believed that a good Christian is somebody who was born in a Christian family. Maybe I'm somebody here who believed that going to church makes me a Christian. Maybe I'm one of those people who be- believed that having a, an, a, a Bible name made me a Christian or a Christian is a person with good morals or a person who helps other people. Uh, Maybe I didn't understand that a true Christian is one who surrenders to the rule of God, who lays down their rebellious ways, their independent ways, and surrenders their life totally to God. And, and that's what a true christian is that's what the myth we're, we're moving away from that myth of a christian is a nice person beginning to understand that a real christian is somebody who has fully surrendered their lives to god and i want to pray for somebody here because maybe you're in that place where you have never surrendered your life to god you felt i'm good enough because i come to church uh maybe i do good things but today it's finally clicked why you need to follow this Jesus. I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. I want to give my life completely over to this God and to his rule and to his leadership. And if you're here, I want to pray for you. Also, maybe you're here, you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe you've even made a prayer asking God to be your leader, but you're living your Christian life in your own strength under your own terms and conditions and today for the first time you've begun to understand no 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 that's not what it means to be a christian that's a myth i need to be somebody who is fully surrendered to god to call myself a christian and so i want to pray for us allow me to pray for us as we conclude father i thank you so much for this message i know that we've talked a bit about a lot of ideas and i know i've painted a big picture for your people uh, that helps them begin to understand what the true message of the gospel is that a true christian is not a nice person A moral person, a person who goes to church, a person who has a Christian name, a person who who grew up in in, in a Christian family. That's not what a true Christian is. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here, I want to just pray for them right now, who... has never given their life to you has never surrendered to the king they're still living their own life making their own decisions living their own life for themselves and if you're here i want to lead you in a brief prayer if you just say these words after me maybe you're ready you're saying i want to surrender to him i want to become a follower of jesus and if you're here just pray these words after me this is a surrender prayer dear jesus i give you my life today forgive my sin Come into my life. Help me to follow you. From today, I will no longer lead myself, but I will follow you. Teach me your ways. Help me to become your child. My life belongs to you. Show me the purpose that you made me for. From today, I am yours. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, please send us a message, uh, send us a, 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 an email, info.info.mavunochurch.org. We would love to send you some information, help you understand the next steps you can take to grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I also want to just pray for the rest of us now as we conclude. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for these who are your sons and daughters who are listening. Some of them are your sons and daughters who are listening to this message who maybe for the first time are beginning to understand that being a Christian is not just about saying a prayer, <laughs> but being a Christian is about aligning all of life to follow the King who owns it all. That we are not in a place where, life, where, where our life belongs to us anymore. That being a Christian is saying, I completely surrender to you. And so I just pray for these who right now are saying, Lord, forgive me, because I've been living my life under my own terms and conditions. And who are saying, today I come to surrender to this King. Uh, Father, I pray that even as they make that prayer of surrender today, that Lord, you will walk with them. You will encourage them. You will strengthen them. I pray that Lord, you would allow them to enter into a community where they can grow in understanding their faith. And I pray that, Father God, they will become, indeed, true followers of Jesus. That, Lord, their lives will look different because they are following the real king. And so I speak a blessing over you, God's people. As you go into this week, may God just go before you, strengthen you, encourage you, give you a real picture of who you are and who you were created to be. And I look forward to seeing you next week as we learn together, continue to learn together about how to follow this king, the one who gave his life for us. I bless you, Lord for your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.